Welcome to the Dental Implant Podcast with your host, Pav Kara, your source of knowledge for all things relating to dental implants. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something valuable. I hope. Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the next episode of the Dental Implant Podcast. It is... Uh, about 10 past eight on another evening. So, you know, I've mentioned before, I am committed to giving as much information as what I possibly can. And I'm joined by uh, a friend of mine today, uh, Adil Ali. Um, you will, uh, most of you will probably know of him or know him. Um, he is a peripatetic surgeon. So he goes uh, to a number of practices and he does some absolutely stunning work. Uh, what we're going to discuss today is Adil goes from practice to practice doing full arch work, and I'm in a static practice doing full arch work, and we're just going to bounce some ideas around about the pros and cons of both, really. Um, so, Adil, if you could just tell us a little bit about your background, and then we'll start to throw some ideas around. Sure. Well, firstly, thank you, Pav, for inviting me to this uh, podcast. It's a, it's an honor to work uh, and talk and share ideas alongside someone like yourself. And I mean, we've known each other for, for many years and been wanting to do this for a long time. So I think it's going to be a, a great evening to share and discuss ideas. And that's what it's all about, you know, uh, implant surgeons bouncing ideas from one another. But just to give you a little of a backdrop to who I am, obviously, um, I, I qualified back in 08 at King's. And as every dentist does, does their VT training. I then uh, worked in the NHS for about four to five years. Did some uh, did my implant training with Hilt Tatum. So um, I learned sinus grafting from him and complex procedures from him. So he was like a, a huge sort of inspiration to me. And then as 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 time went by, you know, you slowly transition from NHS dentistry to private dentistry. Then you make another leap of faith in stopping private dentistry and just going to implants which is a very uh, anxious time. And then you, you, you think to yourself, is this the right thing I'm doing? You know, the kids are getting bigger and so forth. And then um, transition just into implants. Then it was a case of, right, let's stop doing the restorations and let's just focus on the implant placement, the fixture placements. Um, so I did that for a few years. And then it got to a point where I said, you know what, it's, it's time just to focus just on full arch uh, immediate load cases because uh, we we're getting busy with them and um, you know happy to be in this position 14 years into my career just you know 95 to 99 percent full arch immediate load so it's been a bit of a crazy journey um, lots of ups and lots of downs yeah uh, I'm more than happy to to share my experiences today with you, Pev. Fantastic. So um, that's really interesting because what you've described there is a step-by-step -step progression in your career, which is exactly what I've experienced as well. So some of it is hard grafting, other parts of it is luck. And I think what you highlighted, which which is really important because people listening to this, they're going to experience this at points as well. There are, there are times when you get like, am I doing the right thing? Is this the correct step to take? So it's nice to know that I've not been alone in, you know, in, in, in these decisions and thinking to yourself, you know, I, this is what I'm planning on doing. Am I doing the right thing? 100%. Um, and that's why it's so important to be surrounded uh, by clinicians that are of the same mindset. Yeah. It can be very confusing, as a, especially as a young dentist, you know, which way to go. 
um, specifically when it comes to implant dentistry. I think mentorship is a big part of that. Not just, you know, you, you may find a surgeon that you sort of want to model yourself around saying, you know, that's the way he does surgery or she does surgery. I like the way they do that. So therefore, I'm going to follow that path. But you have to take it as a whole, you know, their personality, um, what they've done in their, not just their, the clinical aspects of their life, but as an individual in their life, you know, because I think if you really want to become successful in implantology, it's a, it's a huge sort of commitment. Um, for me personally, I think the, the, the biggest thing is my, is my family and giving me that support. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my wife, she's been very supportive uh, in my career uh, while she sort of, uh, you know, raised the children. She's, you know, fully given me that hundred percent backing to sort of go and learn as much as I can. Uh, especially when you, you your sort of children are growing, you know, there's there's big expenses involved in, in learning, traveling to different countries. Uh, so you just need that constant touching base. If, if it's your house, it's your very close friend that you can really, really, truly trust. Um, so it's it's just not uh, it's not individual path. You need a sort of a team around you, whether it's family or friends, just to keep you giving you that support, right thing. Um, and what I would say, implantology is one of those. Uh, beautiful uh careers whereby you, it's, you get that delayed gratification it, it, it does you build up you build that momentum up you learn from your uh, your wins you learn from your losses you talk to your friends and it's it's just a different buzz you know what it's, it sounds like i'm interviewing myself <laughs> <laughs> you know i have the exact same, We're the same man yeah. We're the, in the same journey yeah you know i have the exact same sentiments you know i've got a very supportive wife and family um, and it, what I found is when I first started in my implant journey, I was very much like, oh, I'm going to do this year-long course and I'll be able to do everything. And very quickly you find that, you know, it's it's like when they say you do your basic BDS degree and uh, when you qualify, it's a license to start learning. And a basic implantology course is exactly that. It's a license to start learning. So you know, I've, I've, I've traveled to other countries and, you know, bounced ideas off friends. As you know, I speak to Rudy two, three times a week, you know, and, uh, you know, a lot of it is just bouncing ideas off each other. And same as yourself, you know, you, you look at your wins, you look at what goes right and you look at it and go, okay, that went really well. Um, but how can I improve it even further for next time? I'm going to put a clinical case up on social media this week. I'll tag you in that as well. Cause I think you'll really like it. It's, it's quite a crazy case, but then what we also have to do is we have to look at the losses as well. When things go wrong, you know, instead of, have you read the book, Black Box Thinking by Matthew Syed? Yeah. Right. So that's superb. That talks about, you know, when you have problems, when you have issues, you shouldn't take it personally, you should use it as a learning tool. So I think it's really important that throughout our careers that, you know, we use um, uh, mistakes and errors as a learning tool, because otherwise, we're not going to progress. Everything's constantly about learning, learning, learning. You've, you've, You've hit the nail on the head. I think it's a as as we do more cases, as we do more implants, we get a little bit more mature as well. And we don't, you know, you learn to take, not to take things personally as well. And I think that that mindset sort of develops over years and, you know, hundreds of implant placements. Uh, and, the, and the beautiful thing about implantology, like how we're talking today, there's no, there's no egos in implantology. Um, you find clinicians that have sort of been doing implants for many years, you know, that you don't, tend to see that sort of arrogance because implantology is one of those careers that if you are sort of 
arrogant or you, you know, egotistical, it'll quickly humble you. I was just about to say, humbles you pretty fast. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so um, it's, it's, it's great. And, you know, discussing wins and losses with colleagues, um, you know, there's just no better sort of feedback yeah. than that. Yeah. So um, both you and I, we both mentor other dentists as well. Yeah. And, um, and even though I mentor other people, I still have mentors myself. I generally tend to find it's not just one mentor. You know, you'll find some people are really good in one aspect and other people are good in other aspects. So it's important to have these avenues open to different mm-hmm. people um, so that you can learn from them. And mentoring is something that I've hammered time and time again. Uh, and I always say to people, that, look, um, learning implants is an expensive journey, but it's worth it. If you don't pay for a mentor, you're going to pay by mistakes and having to correct your own work, and which is exactly. And it's, it's about expediting your career as well. Yeah. So uh, I recently gave a two-day full arch course. Mm-hmm. Now I even said to the delegates, like what I'm teaching you on my surgical sort of principles, it may not mean a lot to you, but it means a lot to me. I've culminated this hour lecture over you know, three, four, five hundred arches, whatever it is, yeah. um, and it means a lot to me. And I'm just distilling it in an hour's sort of lecture to you guys you yeah. know um you can really expedite your journey um by getting mentorship now this is no plug in any way but whoever you find you know you can pick, take a little bit from this person take a little bit from that person you can sort of formulate your own sort of journey but 100 percent, you have to spend the time watching yeah. the, um, and touching base and you've got to do your own work as well you know yeah. you've got to You've got to read papers. Uh, you've got to read around the subject. So um, let's get into a couple of things that I wanted to um, to, to discuss with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I want you to do is I'm just going to very briefly, because I've spoken about this before and I've had the opportunity and I'll always have the opportunity again. Um, uh, so the benefits for me uh, for being in one place when I'm doing full implant work is we've got an on-site lab. Um, it's the same team over and over again. The team is very, very slick. I'm in a slightly privileged position um, because Evo is quite a, uh, they're, they're quite a monstrous marketing machine and I have a huge amount of support. And it's not, you know, if I if I get into something, like when I first started there, is I had Rudy on my back every single time that I was doing surgery, who was right there coaching me through this mentoring slowly over time it's gotten to the point where Rudy's like I don't even need need to see which cases are straightforward which cases are difficult Rudy's now now says to me said Pav get on with it because if you're going to struggle to do it I'm going to struggle to do it Um, but there are still some cases where he and I will work together because either it's an interesting case or it's a particularly complicated case and we've had it sometimes where you know, I've done an upper arch, it's been particularly um, difficult and I'm tired at the end of it, and yeah. he jumps in and does the lower arch. So there are a lot of benefits to working in a static place. Yeah. So what would you say are the benefits of working in multiple practices, which is obviously what you do, isn't it? Sure, yeah. So, no, I, I absolutely 100% agree with you. I mean, the, the setup at Evo is so slick. I, mean, I, I had the opportunity to watch you guys sort of working there, the, the camaraderie, the um, the team spirit there, how you're treating the patients and the whole digital workflow. It's, it's second to none. I'd say, in, in my personal experience, the benefits of, uh, of traveling is, one, you've got access to a lot of patients. So what I've done is developed, um, over the years, developed, you know, really good relationships with practice owners, and if you see from purely of a, a volume standpoint of how many potential implants you can do, yeah. 
um, if you're building great relationships with practice principals that are strong clinicians, I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Clinicians that understand prosthodontics, they understand back implant placement, but don't necessarily do it, that you have the confidence that they can restore your work. Um, then all of a sudden you you're, you access to a, a large patient pool, right? I think from a um, conversion standpoint, it's always easier to sort of for patients that are loyal to the practice uh, of these individual principles, you know, to uptake treatment. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how you guys have found out Evo, but they're they're sort of they have to sort of buy into the practice, whereas these patients have had long-standing relationships. So I'm in a privileged position where I may have 15 or 20 practices, whatever it is. I've got very strong relationships, and now we've opened. You know, I've got access to potentially 100,000 patients, for example. Um, so I think from a predictability standpoint, you know, there's always going to be some sort of you know, implant work or full arch treatments uh, in the pipeline. Also, I think um, from if you want to get experience, uh, I think the most important, before you travel, you have to be damn sure you can do what you do. Yeah. <laughs> there is nothing worse um, than um, a, riff, uh, a referral practice sort of putting their trust in you and you can't execute the work. And it's, it's not just the doing, it's fixing the, when it when it doesn't go according to plan. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And as you know, in full arch dentistry, um, you have to think outside the box sometimes. You know, you expect, you know, okay, you look at the CT scan, you look at patients, all right, this is a straightforward one, and then you're, you know, throw a spanner in the works, the bone is too soft, or it's not what you expect in CT scan. You've got to be able to work around that. And the 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 referrers that are referring these patients to you are expecting to for you to get around that. And you can be damn sure that they'll be checking your work afterwards, they'll yeah. be checking base positioning. They don't say it, but they do. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Which is good, which is, I love that. I love I love that because it keeps me on my toes. Yeah. So I think for me, traveling has made me a better surgeon because I have to um, I have to sort of work to a certain standard. I think sometimes you can become a little bit complacent when you're seeing your own patients and you're seeing your own complications. But when you're when you're having referrals to deal with complications, that you really have to sort of reflect on it, improve it, because that's your credibility as a peripatetic surgeon at the end of the day yeah and i guess another upside to it as well is as well as having the access to a large um uh, volume of patients Mm -hmm. is that the patients have already been they've already been consulted to a certain extent so they kind of know that they need this they've been briefed with regards to how much it's going to cost so they're better primed for when you first see them and then when you come in as a and you you turn around and say to them that you you know oh you know I'm the external surgeon who comes in to do this that itself breeds credibility with the patients as well by the sound absolutely. of it absolutely and and the most important thing you have to you have to be like a silent bit more like an active business partner to your referrers as well you have to give them so if you you know I invested sort of a lot of time and effort uh, into my website into the cases so. The referrers have the necessary digital assets to be able to explain it to the patient what they're getting, um, and then what we've done is slowly over the years developed a system whereby we they're doing the consultation, they know exactly what to say to the patient. Um, I then they give they send me the CT scan, I'll do my analysis and you know record it, do a screen recording. They send it, and we got up to a point where we we're just coming in uh, to doing the surgery, and it already feels like the patient's already got a relationship. Uh, with myself you know i think that's key yeah no that's um 
Yeah, that's it. And again, the other thing that you alluded to as well is when you, when you have access to this volume of patients as well, mm-hmm. um, particularly when you're being a peripatetic surgeon, A, it forces you to, to, to up your game. Um, but B, in addition to that as well, is it builds up that thing that I keep going back to, muscle memory, muscle memory, muscle memory, okay? So I've, I've said this before that, you know, I've got I've got my MCLIN dent in implantology, and I was relatively confident before even before I started at Evo Dental. I and I was doing full arch cases, mm-hmm. and then I started at Evo Dental, and I think it was on day two. I said to our MD, "I thought I knew how to do full arches. I think I need to forget it and relearn." Yeah, because yeah. and then I was you know my, my my training was because I had the theory already and I had some level of experience. My training was right. Okay shadow Rudy for a week. And then after that, I was doing all surgeries. And, you know, my, my surgical time when I first started was about four, four and a half hours. And it wasn't good enough. And, it, and now, now my average surgery is about two and a half hours, two hours, 45 minutes. It's a really tough case, maybe three hours, straightforward case under two hours. But you, you can't, it's like everything, you know, the first crown prep you do, the first filling that you do, you don't do it in a, that short amount of time. Mm-hmm. It's got to be repetition, repetition, repetition. So the upside to is building that muscle memory. Absolutely. And the muscle memory is so important. I've never seen, if you look at other industries, I've never seen anyone successful that hasn't put the work in and the yeah. effort and the volume in. I always talk about Cristiano Ronaldo. I think he's probably one of the best athletes in the world. Yeah. I mean, he is the best in the world, but I'm, I'm damn sure he outworks everybody still. Yeah. You see, and that's what it is. You know, you have to do it and do it and and do it and do it and, and keep on doing it, and you just improve every single time. And that's you know, again, I think you, you got a more sort of you got a better chance of being able to do more cases if you are if you are traveling, unless you're, you know you're, you're an institute like Evo where you do you do you've got the whole slick setup and you're doing sort of mass uh, marketing. I think for an individual practice to be doing you know. 10, 15, 20 arches a month, you have to be uh, traveling, in my in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, sc- scaling that back just a touch, because obviously yeah. you and I are both full arch surgeons, this is what we do, yeah. but somebody who is not a full arch surgeon, but they want to do peripatetic work just doing implants, the, sa- the, same, the same principles apply really. It, you have to be damn good at what you do. And it's not just the doing is when things don't go according to plan, you need to know how to fix it. Because there is nothing worse being a traveling surgeon, promoting yourself, going to a practice, doing something that doesn't go according to plan. And sometimes, uh, you know, it, it's it, it's a biological issue. The patient's just not healing. It's, it, could, it could be anything, right? But you have to have the confidence to be like, okay, this is the issue that's happened. Fine, we'll we'll get it dealt with. You know, is because you're kind of like, although you're going to a practice, you are still secondary line of care. So it's important that you know is in your. I think it's 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 a, you got you got to be really balanced, have a yeah. balance, because you have to be able to deal with complications. But at some point, you need to you know you're never going to be a hundred percent there. Yeah. It's, you got to sort of take a leap of faith and say, right, I think I can do this. Uh, certainly with my career, you know, was I the finished product? No. Uh, I took that risk by right going to different practices. But I think the first person you need to convince is yourself. And that's where the and that's where the the anxiety comes in that we spoke about before when you're doubting yourself. And this is where a mentor will really help as well. Because yeah. that's when a mentor turns around and says, okay, you know what? Yes, you're ready to do more. Just stay away from this at the moment. Let's get you built up on this a little bit more. Then you can add that in. So, you know, a mentor is just basically there to, to 
argue through the mistakes that they've made through it and throughout their career. Yeah, and it's nothing. It's nothing better than, you know, with one of my mentors I've had for the past thirteen years, him turning around and saying, "Look, you know, there's things I want to learn from you, and let's do this case together." And it's 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 what a better feeling. Superb. Yeah. Superb feeling, you know. It's uh, it's absolutely amazing. So when your mentor's saying that, then you think, right, I must. I must know. I must be half decent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's flip the coin now, okay? Let's let's talk about the downsides of what we do as well, okay? Um, I'm fully aware that my MD is going to probably going to be listening to this at some point. I make no apologies because I'm always open and honest with him. Um, you know, so it's uh, as a as as a as a full arch surgeon in one place is if I ever get a day where I'm not doing surgery or one of the other teams doing surgery, it can get really boring. <laughs> one thing I noticed when I was doing peripatetic work is even if you weren't doing, if, if you're doing something else, at least because you're going to a different place every single day, helps the time tick back, uh, tick over a little bit more. Um, so uh, one thing, one thing that used to drive me absolutely mad, mate, when I was a peripatetic surgeon is sometimes you do this, work and you know you'd come back and it was a long distance you know you might have been 100 miles away and yeah. you get a phone call two days later healing abutments come loose and you've got to go back for a healing abut <laughs> these things happen right so yeah. come on let us let, let's hear your let's hear your your version of the potential downsides of, of peripatetic work well that was one of them uh, so healing abutments becoming loose and that that well that it comes back to my point that's from there i only started to work with very strong clinicians yeah yeah, that actually have the capability of putting a healing button back on. Yeah, I think um, not understanding sometimes the X-ray. Mm -hmm. You know, the difference between periimplantitis peri and uh, sort of you know remodeling of bone yeah. around getting stressed out about that, and uh, you know, obviously we talk about the biological width and you know. Mm -hmm tissue vertical height you need so thinking it's you know it's it's a problem when it's actually not and that can be sort of uh trying to explain that sometimes can be uh, a little bit challenging yeah. um and then in the, i think the biggest issue is uh making sure you've got all your inventory yeah <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes when you want to leave surgery and then you've got to sterilize all your things and then check it you know because you've got an arch the next day yeah it really adds on a lot of time yeah so, have to ensure if you're going, you you know you've got your sort of you know from a from a business standpoint, these are your day rates. You have to hit your your day rate because if you're taking extra hour or two just from traveling and uh, you know getting things, you're losing a lot. Of, you're losing a lot of time. Mm. Um, forgetting forgetting things sometimes, and I think the biggest the, the biggest thing you need you need the right implant system yeah. to do to do. Yeah, um, I've gone through a lot of implant systems, especially with with full arch. And I had to ensure if I'm if I'm traveling, I just need to nail the case first time, and that's it. And not afford to lose primary stability on implants. You know, if I'm using a rough implant all the way up, I mean, need to ensure that I put it deep into bone. Make sure when I put my multi-unit abutments on, make sure the torques properly. Make sure the AP spread is right. Make sure the occlusion is on. Like you know, these checkpoints, yeah. and you need to ensure you just nail every every single one, and then you can sleep at night. Yeah. Com comfortably you know um and people people say like you know do you lose sleep and are you worried at all not really no i mean it, it gets to the point where i mean your problems never go down to zero but they 
become they become significantly less, and that that that's that that's what we're aiming for. Absolutely. You know, I, actually, you know, I do aim for zero complications and a hundred percent success rate, but that's unrealistic. But just because it's unrealistic doesn't mean that's that's what we aim for. But what you don't want is you know you don't want to you know it's you don't want to be going back too often to because then that starts to chew in more into your time it doesn't breed trust with the referring dentist so the the the, the odd complication now and again everybody understands because that's biology um, but you know having having constant problems and i had constant problems when i was younger because uh, in fact partly partly that is i didn't understand the implant system like saying like you were saying it's because uh, i know you use neodent right Neodent, yeah. So I've used Neodent before in the past. Um, it didn't work quite as well in my hands, but surgically it was a great uh, – I struggled with it more restoratively than what I – surgically. Surgically it's a great implant. But just because it doesn't work for me doesn't mean it doesn't work for other people. No, no you use Southern as well, and yeah. you can't Southern the same way you treat Neodent. No, not at all. And then you've got Ankylos on the totally different end. Yeah. You have to become accustomed to how – you know you can't use the same techniques for, the, for, for, for different implant systems. And yeah. this is – I, again, it comes about, back to once you do a lot of cases and you've used a lot of implant systems, you just develop that feel. Yeah, yeah, and it is, and it's um, you know I talk about uh, the different osteotomy types that, depending on different bone, and I know that you know if I'm using because obviously Southern have got quite a big range. I know okay if I'm planning on using this implant that in this type of bone that this is what I want my osteotomy to be like, and that again comes back to muscle memory. That's that, that that's that's doing enough incorrectly so you know how to do them correctly. If it absolutely, and I think I think this this you know one system doesn't fit all. I don't think um, you know I think Southern's a great implant. You know um, I like to use it if I'm doing sort of an FP1 case. I think it's great with the coaxis. Yeah, I really go to fixture level. Really go to fixture level if I'm doing a full arch. You'll always be on multi unit moments. Yeah. And it, so for FP1, great. Probably near then, you know, obviously you, you don't have the coaxis. So most FP3 cases, well, you know, stick to near then or something robust like that. Yeah. So, so you, you have to you have to pick and choose your cases, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, this one implant can do everything. I just don't believe it. You know? I've always said that you not only need to understand the macro geometry of the implant and understand how it plays, how it places, but you need, like you alluded to a few minutes ago, you need to understand the connection type and where that fits in everything as well. 100%. If you've got a rough surface right to the neck, but you've got a nice deep morsel or a deep tape, then you basically bury it. You know, you can you can go really quite deep with these. And, you know, this is a podcast that Bill and I did as well. Um, you know, with, with Southern, uh, I can bury them a little bit. I can leave it uh, at the same level as the crest. Because of the MSC, of the MSC cotton? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I see a lot of people who jokingly turn around and say to me, oh, Pav, you know, you're using external hex and you've got a machined neck. You're going to, you're definitely going to get bone loss. Oh, that's, yeah. I'm just, I'm just not seeing it. And, but a big part of that, I know how to use the connection. Absolutely. I've got some beautiful I mean, I used to use a lot of Southern implants. I reviewed one of my cases about three, uh, that I did three years ago with Southern. I mean, fantastic. Mm. Absolutely. You know, fantastic bone levels, you know, MSC quality. Just, you just feel it's very protective. And uh, I know that they've recently brought out with Evo a new pterygoid implant. I'm not sure if I should be mentioning this on the, on the podcast. It's, it's the soft bone implant. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yes. But we use it for our pterygoids. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was actually pretty much a design that Rudy came up with. Yeah, Rudy designed a beautiful implant. Yeah. Because of, well, I, I placed a couple of those and are oh, fantastic. They're really nice. They're really nice. So we, we're on about the third or fourth version of it. 
and we're just about there with it now. So we're, we're getting, we're getting some really nice. Just a two, well, I use two point straight with yeah. the implant. Yeah, and it's they're, they're just locking absolutely beautifully. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. From more from a clinical standpoint, um, how many sort of are you placing majority pterygoids in all all your um... in the vast majority of cases? Yeah, I mean, I speak to a lot of people, and the, the, there's a number of, of questions that come up, and the first question is why you really don't need to, um, you know, because you've only got a small cantilever. And my reply to that is really quite simple. It's like, yeah, but you know what? It takes me three, four minutes to place a pterygoid and then I've got no cantilever. So when you eliminate a cantilever, it doesn't doesn't increase the success rate of your implant, but it reduces prosthetic complications in long term. And for something that takes just two, three minutes either side, I don't see the harm in doing it. Um, And the other thing that people say as well is is, uh, we get a lot of this is, you know, how the patient's going to clean it all the way back there. Well, mm-hmm. firstly, we only have a bar connector, so it's not teeth all the way back there. Yeah. But secondly, the soft tissue in the area is thick, fibrous tissue. Now, I've seen patients not clean their prosthetics, and out of all the implants in the mouth, the pterygoids just don't have a problem because of the quality of the soft tissue. Yeah. And it comes back to that sort of, you know, zygo pterygoid. Yeah. When do you do I mean, the complication is zygo. I mean, um, Obviously, with the new sort of implant designs, the Zaga flats and that sort of thing, we're seeing less and less complications. But, you know, with the pterygoid, um, if you can bypass doing Zaga, go for pterygoid, it's the soft tissue that's going to protect your implant more than... No, I mean, we we get Zygo cases at Evo as well. We get some patients who come in who say that they've been told they they need quad. And what we generally tend to find is, yeah, we still do need to do quads occasionally in really extreme cases. But a lot of cases, what we're finding is actually, you know what, pterygoid, single zygo, something in the middle, and then zygo and pterygoid. So so we're going across on five. So here's a question. If you've got a case where if you're looking at Bendrosian classification, you've got bone in zone one, yeah. I think in two or three, and then you've got some pterygoids, could you potentially, I mean, are you happy with that sort of cantilever? Uh, that, that, that length of span? Yeah, that length of span. I've, I've done it quite a lot before. Uh, I'm not overly comfortable with it, but I wouldn't say that I've had many problems with it either. Um, I, th- I think it's something that Rudy's bounced the idea of is to do a deep dive into our data and find these patients with the long spans and see how they're holding up in the long term. And that's the great thing about you. I mean, you, you, you've done so many cases, uh, mm. even with that sort of long-term follow-up, you can sort of draw a lot of data out there. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. So it's uh, – and the other thing as well is – uh, because we get the pterygoids in at the back, quite often I'm finding I'm not having to try like push the premolar implants into the five or six position. Yeah. Because quite often it, it's get a pterygoid at the back, something really comfortably in the fore, then the lateral, and then the same on the other side. And it's just very, very, very predictable work. Very predictable work. So in my previous podcast, or one of the one of the last one or two was actually on pterygoids. One of the things I always say that that people should look out for when they're doing this type of work is does the case hinge around success of the pterygoid, i.e. without the pterygoid, are we suddenly into the realms of uh, zygomatics and sinus grafting? In those cases, you need to be more careful. If it's one of those where, you know, that you can't get the pterygoid in, but we can still go all on four. Because sometimes, I mean, you've seen it, mate, is, you know, you, you, you look at the pterygoid plate and you can't differentiate it between trabecular bone and cortical plate. So you know, sometimes the, the bone back there is you can get the implant in, but, but the implant's weak. And, 
how's that any different from anywhere else in the mouth? <laughs> you know, so it's you've got to be careful with with all of this type of stuff. And again, this goes back to you do enough of them, you'll mess enough of them up so that so that you so that you know what you should and what you shouldn't be doing. What's what's your thoughts um, on sort of people that want to get into full arch but want wanting to sort of jump onto that journey without learning sinus grafting? Everybody that I've spoken to, everybody, and we spoke about this at the beginning of this podcast as well. It's a stepwise progression, and what I'm finding is because I can see the analyst, I can see the analytics of the podcast that I put out there, right? Right. The sexy stuff like zygomatics, that's the stuff everybody's listened to more than any of the others, right? You need to, you need to understand your basic surgical skills first. Right? Absolutely. Once you understand your basic surgical skills, you need to get comfortable with basic grafting. Once you get comfortable with basic grafting, then you then need to start getting comfortable with uh, simple sinus lifting. Once you get comfortable with simple sinus lifting, then you need to st- it's just a step by step by step progression. And I think what once you get that progression at the same time, if if you want to be peripatetic, you start building out your 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 identity, your and and then carving sort of that out, you know. Yeah. And I don't. Some people can do it a little bit prematurely. Yeah. And it comes down to you have to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, "Who am I? Am I confident in who I am as an implant surgeon?" <laughs> people referrers will figure you out. Yeah. And if you're building out that identity, what do you not want that identity to be? This guy's going around, he's pretending to do full arches and he's having nothing but problems or she's having nothing but problems. Absolutely. The the business will come, right, is you can't become an F1 driver two days after passing your driving test. It just does not happen. And it's the same with this. You just got to keep practicing, keep learning. And some some people won't get there because they're not going to be exposed to it, which is fine. Other people are going to be better at other stuff, like uh, like people like Roberetti. You know, his his anterior aesthetic work is just stunning. You know, so you you end up having a natural gravitation towards one thing or another. Um, and you know, for for me, I, it's always been towards full arches. The delayed gratification is so sweet, and yeah. it just and you just build on it and build on it and build on it. Then you can look at your career and say, wow, you know, it it, it does take a little bit of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I always say to my mentees, you know, we're not footballers. We don't peak in our 20s. (laughs) You don't peak in your 20s. I mean, my mentor, he said he was was the best surgeon when he was 50 years old. Yeah. I was the best when I was 50. Yeah. And that to me just just threw everything upside down. Yeah. Right. You know, I thought at the age of 36, you know, um, you know, I was getting good, but I just want to, I'm looking forward to the surgery. I'm going to be at 46. Yeah. 56. Do you see what I mean? So it's, it, it's, it's about keeping it sort of exciting. Yeah. I mean, I started at, uh, I started at Evo Dental. I think I was 42. I'm 44 now. Yeah. And, you know, as I said, it's, you know, prior to Evo, I was, you know, I was, I was doing okay. I was, I was probably, probably thought I was a little bit better than what I was in full arches. Singles, I was, I was, I was doing, I was doing pretty well at still. Yeah. And what happens is, as, as we've said, is once you get exposed to this type mm. of stuff, is when you do it all day, every day, you just get more and more comfortable with it. And it gets to the point where, you know, you're not doing a pterygoid implant. You're not doing a sinus lift. You're not doing this. It's, you're just doing surgery. And it gets to the point where in surgery now, if I get thrown a curveball, it doesn't really stress me out. It's just problem solving. 
you know, and as I said, I'll, I'll show you this case uh, later on the, in the week when, and I'll, I will tag you in it, but I knew it was going to be difficult to start with. It didn't stress me out. And it, it, what you don't want to do is you don't want to get into something and then think to yourself, and this happens when you're in your early period, you're like, okay, I'm doing flap elevation, I'm doing this, I'm, you know, this is next stage, and then I'm doing alveoplasty. Then it gets to the point where you're just doing surgery. And that's how you know your skills are progressing. And that will be true from, from every step. So to those who are earlier on in their implant surgery, they will be going from, I'm, I'm making an incision, I'm raising a flap. And it gets to the point where, you know what, I'm doing surgery to place an implant. Exactly. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Adil, that's been awesome, mate. We've probably gone a little bit longer than what I thought it was going to, but it's been a great discussion. Oh, I really enjoy it. Yeah, it's, it's great. So um, uh, I would, for those um, for those listening, I'd recommend checking out uh, Adil's uh, website. What's your website address again, mate? DrAdilAli.com. Okay. And you yeah. say you run like a, a full arch course as well, is that right? Yeah, we ran a full arch, uh, full arch course a couple of weeks back. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. Okay, fantastic. Uh, to, to run the thing again in September. Okay. Let me know. I might pop across to that as well. So, so connect with Adil on 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 Facebook and Instagram because he shows some beautiful cases. Really, really nice work. For me, it's just about sharing knowledge, sharing some. You know, yeah. If it, somebody can, there's so. I mean, I'll, I'll just end this podcast on. There's so many cases. Yeah. There's so many cases out there, and it's, you know, you get to a point in your career where you you know you're doing a lot of arch work, and you just think to yourself, you know what. Well, it just brings such a change to people. Yeah. You're getting that feeling every day, you know, yeah. change people's lives every day. You just think, right, how can I scale this in a sense that, right, I've got to teach more clinicians how to do this. Yeah. Patients, yeah. you know, because that's what it's all about at the end of the day. Because what happens then as a mentor, you get almost this internal satisfaction that, yeah. you know, it's not just me helping people. I've helped other people help other people, you know. You just get this really, you know, when you see somebody progressing in their skills, it's it's just a fantastic feeling. Fantastic yeah. feeling, and they, you know, I say to my mentees, one, well, hopefully one day, you know, I'll be learning something from you. We'll be doing surgery together. Absolutely, you know? You'll be teaching me something. Yeah, uh, that's the great thing about implantology. Everyone's, well, in my experience, everybody's very, very giving. Yeah, um, it's 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 wonderful. So, yeah. I mean, that's that's the whole point of this podcast. You know, I want to try to. You know, I, I feel like I've got a lot up here because I've studied very hard. I'm not you know, I'm trying to give as much as what I can. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And to, to try and take that sort of anxiety out of trying to progress further. We know what kind of industry we're in. Yeah. Uh, it can be a little bit daunting, you know, to, to try out new things. But hopefully with, you know, with the podcasts that you're doing and sharing your experiences with, you know, clinicians, hopefully, you know, the, the people watching and listening yeah. will be, have a bit more courage to sort of step outside yeah. the box. Awesome. So let me finish by saying is let's do dinner one evening. Let's, oh, let's figure something out. Okay. Right. <laughs> okay. So, uh, folks, thank you very much for listening. Um, you know, as I said, it's uh, and thank you, Adil, for coming on. It's you know coming up to ten to nine now. Thank you very much, Titanium Nerds. 